And after that brief intermission of eight months, welcome back to the Emergence Podcast. I think I nailed that melody. I haven't heard it in eight months. Um, Yeah, it was weird how intimidating it even was to press the record button now. Uh, It's January 2022. (laughs) For those of you who are listening to this from outer space or wherever humans have made their new home. Um, Yeah, the second episode of this Emergence podcast I released in... I, I had to look now. I released it on 23 May in 2021. So yeah, that was just a brief little eight-month hiatus uh, leading into episode three. So I actually got cracking with episode three quite shortly after making or releasing episode two. And it was such a cool idea that wanted to happen. Um, And I really do hope that I get to finish it because uh, a bunch of wonderful friends actually contributed to what was going to be episode three. Um, they contributed a whole bunch of recordings and different things. I was fascinated at the time by how WhatsApp and by how digital communication platforms were sort of proving to be a really valuable space for people to still feel a semblance of connection, not only, you know, families who are um, sort of distributed across the planet and were suddenly very unable to see each other and were also sort of very aware of the fact that they couldn't see each other, which, you know, made the separation even more intense. But, and listen, that's ongoing, obviously. Um, but I was also fascinated just by just regular things, people that you live close to and would usually have seen three or four times a week. Um, you know, how things like WhatsApp and, uh, you know, the, the more reading I did about this, there, there's a couple of other platforms in other parts of the world that are bigger, bigger than WhatsApp. Um, and, and it was really interesting. So I was combining sort of research. I was reading actual sort of journal articles and studies about these things. And I was asking friends of mine to send through some recordings of their, uh, just like random WhatsApps. And I was busy mixing that together. I got quite into it, but then I got stuck. Um, so, and I, I think I got stuck or, you know, like a large pause button was hit. Uh, in many people's lives. Look, I mean, May 2021 wasn't even the time when most of us really felt the pause button. Um, I guess in like 2020, a lot of us already started feeling that pause button in a big way. But yo, it's 2022 and somebody has pressed play. Uh, So here I am again. Uh, Like I said, it was actually intimidating just pressing the, the record button here, sort of getting that outward facing energy going again, because of how long and uh, how how um, normalized the sort of, you know, internal space has become, the domestic space. And uh, I must say, in many ways, I've enjoyed that too. And right, so what I'm, what I'm bringing you guys today is, a inter- is an interview I did with a friend of mine. He's a colleague. Uh, we both work at Open Window, which is a school for creativity, basically um, a tertiary institution in Centurion in South Africa. Um, and he's the he's the head of school of the Creative Technology School. And we spend a lot of time together in the academic committee. And um, yeah, I, it's now my ninth year working there and I really enjoy it. And 
Mornay's been there pretty much as long as I can remember. I'm not sure if he was there also, if this is also his ninth year. I, I don't know, but he's kind of, you know, just part of my, part of my memory of being at Open Window is all these, um, lovely exchanges with Mornay and usually involves, you know, some kind of humorous exchange too. But a lot of insight and, um, you know, I've been an admirer of his artwork sort of since encountering it specifically for its idiosyncrasy and its very um, unique perspective on the world. Um, and yeah, it's always nice when you get to know somebody and sort of engage with their artwork over a number of years um, and sort of, you know, you, you're thinking about those things and encountering them kind of in parallel. Anyway, so... What we did was in September last year, so in September 2021, uh, we were headed to the same meeting and we'd been, I'd, I'd been, you know, threatening or threatening isn't exactly the right word, but it's probably close. Um, I'd been telling Mornay that I wanted to have a conversation with him about creativity. It's a, it's obviously a topic that interests both of us. And my original idea was actually to go sit with him in his studio while he was painting and sort of have a chat, you know, and just drink some wine and do some talking. Um, but that never sort of played out like that. But in September, you know, we realized we we're heading to the same meeting. So I said, yo, dude, come pick me up in your car and we drive together. And then we saw me record the chat in the car. Uh, so what's nice about that is, as some of you will know who have listened to big back catalog of this podcast, namely the two episodes that I released in May 2021. Um, the very first uh, little bit, I think it's the very first little bit. I'll have to go listen back. I'm not going to go listen back. You can go listen back. I'm trying to move on over here. Uh, but the first bit from the, the first episode was recorded in a car as well. And the whole sort of spirit of this podcast is to let it be what it wants to be, like whatever wants to emerge. Um, so it's kind of on the fly. Even these intros I'm sort of recording with my phone, even though I probably have some better recording gear around here somewhere. I just I just let the flow happen, you know. I don't want to get stuck on things. So, um, yeah, we, we sat in the car and we drove all the way to the meeting. But as as this kind of thing tends to happen, as soon as we got there, we were like right in a really cool part of the conversation. So we decided to record some more on the way home as well. Um, and Mornay dropped me off, dropped me off at home after the, after the meeting. This was in September 2021, like I said. So for context, I mean, that's already what, four months ago. Um, and it's interesting. It's interesting listening back to it now, just editing it for this podcast. Um, you know, how many of the things we said are still exactly the same, but also how, there's already, you know, four months is a lot, like four months in our current, the way, the way the world works and how fast information is moving and how fast even technology is moving. I mean, there's some funny updates, like, like one random thing, Mornay mentions that he's still out here playing PS3 in 2021. Well, as it turns out, like two weeks ago, I was chilling with him and a PS5 got delivered to him. He was, he was super happy about it, but so there's a little update. He's actually now on a PS5. Um, and uh, just, a, just a couple of notes that I wrote down to, to remember to say in this little intro as I was sort of editing the, the audio of that interview. I'm aware of the funny squeaky noises. So I used a little Zoom H1 uh, recorder and I 
plonked it in the car somehow with this little gorilla, um, like little gorilla, what's it called, like little tripod thingy. Uh, and I put my phone in another part of the car and then I used both recordings and kind of did my best, which is not the best, but I sort of mixed them together a little bit. So if you're listening to this on headphones, you might actually have that feeling like you're in the car with us, which I hope you might feel sort of sitting in the back seat listening to two dudes chatting in the front of the car. Um, yeah, whoa. Um, just found that specific frequency of this room that I'm sitting in that resonates. I forget what it's called. My friend Peach likes to do that, sort of walk into a room and just find that specific frequency and then do like a honk noise in that in that zone. Um, anyway, I, I'm doing it again. Every time I say, um, I'm resonating with the room. So just to say that I'm aware of the squeaky noises at the beginning of the, the recording, I sort of sat and I was trying to clean it up and sort of, you know, play with the audio levels there and, and stuff. And then I was like, oh, what am I doing? And then I realized that it doesn't, you know, carry on for that long. So just, I don't know what that was. It might've been the the little tripod moving on the dashboard, or maybe I was fidgeting with something. I can't remember what what that specific little, it's sort of like a little clicky, clicky noise. It doesn't have, it's like three minutes and then it's gone. So uh, please do just, you know, just, just listen through that. Don't don't get distracted, guys. Don't get distracted. Like the the message is, is more powerful than the squeaky noises. Um, and then... What could be really cool is to give Mr. Mornay Fenter's Instagram a squiz before or during the interview, uh, just because his work, his painting work is so striking. And we do talk about it quite a bit in the interview, specifically the titles of his, uh, not specific. I mean, we talk about a lot about the paintings, but we talk about the titles too, uh, because I really enjoy the titles that he comes up with for, for his paintings. Um, so I thought I'll just read a few, you know, just to give you a clue for those of you who aren't going to be looking at the Instagram. Here is a couple of his titles for paintings. I'm just randomly, I've sort of started anywhere and, uh, I'll just read a few. So here, here, here's a strange painting. I'm not going to describe each picture, but this painting's title is, I send out my cryptic broadcast and when nobody understands, I think less of them. And the, the medium of this of this piece he describes as ink, alcohol, and acrylic, acrylic and aloofness. Okay. Um, and this one he called, I thought I would mind losing myself to this place, but letting go has not been a problem so far. And the medium is ink, acrylic, and gently seeping away. Uh, here's one. I didn't see anything when I looked into your eyes, but there is nothing to see in my eyes either. <laughs> Ink, acrylic, and dead eyes. Oh, man. And this is a beautiful piece, by the way. Um, I see I've liked it before. Um, here's another one. I thought that sacrificing myself would be an effective message, but the only thing I communicated is how little I meant in the first place. Ink, acrylic, and a useless scream. So anyway, like kind of what we were, you know, what, what we were talking about in the, in the about the titles was just kind of the, the mixture of the, the darkness and the humor. Um, and the sort of existential angle that that brings to his artwork. But anyway, so please do check out his uh, Instagram. It's Velvet Fenter, at Velvet Fenter. Um, for those of you who don't speak Afrikaans, Fenter is a relative, it's like a proper Afrikaans surname. So that V, the, the, the F in Fenter is actually a V. 
so Velvet Venter, I guess, if you were, were reading that without knowing what um, Venter was. I wonder, that's actually really nice, Velvet Venter. That's beautiful. Uh, it sounds like a, a weird Lynchian, like, anyway. Obviously, I'm thinking of Blue Velvet now. And I was watching Dumbland earlier today, for anyone who's seen Dumbland. I actually watched all eight episodes today. Uh, okay, don't, I mean, I don't know, I, I guess I'm recommending it. I'm, I'm not even recommending it. In fact, Mornay says in this interview, he hates people who tell him what to watch, you know. Don't watch Dumbland, just just remember that David Lynch made Dumbland. Um, then, oh, one, one other note. In the meantime, I have learned how to say the word ennui. Uh, almost like the French soccer player, Thierry Henri. No, I'm just joking. Okay, anyway. Um, and yeah, in the, in, the, in the interview, I heard myself saying, ennui. Now, this is a word that I learned during lockdown in a big way because it kind of defined my whole um, feeling during lockdown, my whole, um, like where I was at. Um, so I read it and wrote it a lot, but it's not a word that I've heard a lot of people say. I obviously don't hang out with enough intellectuals or enough French people or enough French intellectuals. Um, or I, you know, it's, it's just one of those words that you've, that you've read, but you didn't. Okay. Anyway. Uh, but anyway, so, so in the meantime, I watched Wes Anderson's new film, The French Dispatch. And then I, and then there's a small town called Ennui. And then I was like, oh yeah, shit, that's obviously how you say that word. Um, again, I'm not recommending the French Dispatch. It was, I mean, you know, as far as Wes Anderson's films go, there is an interesting growth in it. It's a little bit more risque, you could say, or sort of pushing at certain barriers. And it's definitely worth a watch. I mean, it's a fun, it's a fun watch. And in some ways, anyway, I'm not going to go down the Wes Anderson talk now. Then the last uh, thing I want to say about the interview uh, with Mornay coming up is it's quite real talk, I must say, like listening back to it. So, uh, you know, we talk about a lot of things um, from lack of inspiration. To, like the main thing we're trying to discuss is creativity and different ways to think about being creative. Um but yeah, we we delve into all kinds of topics, you know, honesty about why we make art. Um, that was that was some real talk. Uh, we even briefly talk about the tarot. Uh, so if, if you if you're into that or not, whatever, there's a little bit about that. Uh, we talk about alcoholism. Um, what was really really eye opening for me when I heard myself say one or two things about alcoholism there in September 2021 was realizing that I was saying more or less that exact same thing in January 2022. <laughs> Recently, I um, it, it was kind of uncanny hearing myself repeat those certain phrases when I was like, oh shit, I was saying that in September 2021 already. Um, so yeah, you know, it is a, it's a thing. I, I mean, uh, okay, let me just be more specific. So, uh, where, <laughs> oh my God. This is becoming really weird. It's really weird because I'm like, I don't know who I'm talking to. You know what I mean? When you make a podcast and you're just like putting shit out there, it's like very fucking personal, in, you know, especially when you're talking about this kind of thing. But I'm assuming that the people who are listening to this uh, have stumbled on it or are part of my Patreon community or I've told them to listen to it or you're friends of Mornay. 
in 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 all of the above cases, um, you know, then I guess it's this is cool. Like we're all we're all people here, and obviously the one main thing about this sort of global mental health pandemic that we're all actually living through is uh, the more honesty we can have, and the more people sort of being real about what they're struggling with, it does, I think, help other people to also just sort of be real. But it, I, I just want to say it's weird when I heard myself say that thing of like, yo, I've been drinking a bottle of wine every night and crying and watching art movies. And yes, I watched some good art movies that made me cry. But uh, And also just how the melancholy then seeps into the day and how I was happy to report that I still had an on and off switch. Like, it's really weird that I was saying that stuff in September and I've been saying it again in January. But that's true because after December... I did realize that I have it on an off switch and I have, I've, I haven't uh, drinketh, I haven't dranketh, I haven't drunketh anything or I mean like, any, oh my God, this is so weird. Um, I, I've been pretty good at staying. I never know when, if you're supposed to say on the wagon or off the wagon, but like I sort of made a commitment that I wasn't going to drink alone. And then I was like, wait, that's not good enough. Cause now I'm just like inviting friends over and, you know, and, and still drinking. Uh, but so then I made a thing like, okay, cool. I'm not going to drink for a while. So that's been going well, except for one very epic night, um, with some really interesting humans. Uh, but that day I knew that, you know, that's how it was going to go. And then I felt very fragile for like two days, but I'm, I'm better. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I pressed the record button again. then this happened oh my god okay all of this was supposed to be an intro for Mornay so now like you know Mornay's asked some people to to listen to this podcast and they've had to listen to um 18 minutes of me explaining alcoholism but anyway so so the main thing I want to say about alcoholism is um it is true that uh a person doesn't what what did I say the the thing I would say like alcoholism sneaks up on a person yeah so wherever you at in your drinking life, I remember just before COVID, I heard a I heard a dude on a podcast doing an advert advert for wine. He's like a super clever dude, and he was like, "It's it's actually true to say in this world where you know we have like Uber and all these other options that I'm actually a little bit behind on my social drinking," and I still think that's true. Like you know, wine especially is a very good social lubricant, and it does help conversation. In many ways, I guess. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Jesus turned water into wine, y'all. Okay. Anyway, the point I was the point I was trying to get to is, um, yeah, it's almost time to get in the car with Mornay in September 2021. Do a little time traveling. Do a little traveling, and specifically time traveling. Um, I do want to punt my Patreon community one more time. My Patreon community has been such a ray of like love and support and light to me since I started that journey in October 2020, October 2020. Um, it's just been so cool. Like every time a creative project has happened, I've sort of let my community know. And, you know, just a whole bunch of times people have even collaborated. Like, uh, I mean, there's lots of interesting ways in which that has played out. So I've just been really, really thankful that every time I post something, I know someone's going to look at it and sort of, you know, give a give a think about it or um, and yeah. So so how the Patreon thing works, it's not it's not particularly well known in South Africa yet, but 
the way it works is like you you basically are a patron of an artist and um you know so so the 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 it's like it's like if you wanted to buy me a cup of coffee every month now you can it's like a monthly donation and in exchange you then get access to everything that I've ever posted on Patreon since October 2020. That's the one weird thing about Patreon's model. It's like if you join four years after somebody has started making stuff and you just, you know, contribute your $3 a month, you can actually access everything that they've posted and everything they've made in in that four years, you know. But I guess in a way that's also cool because it's not like, yeah, I mean, I support other creators on Patreon and I love being able to sort of go back through their archive and see all the things that they they do and that they make. And for every 10 followers that I get on Patreon, I always support one I choose one person that I can also support, you know. Preferably a South African just to keep growing the little network. Anyway, so so check it out patreon.com/yakuvandermerwe and then you can decide if you want to join the little community or not. Uh, these these podcasts will remain free. I'm not going to put them behind a paywall, I don't think, at any point. That's not part of my vibe. It's not what podcasts are supposed to be, man. Recently, a lot of podcasts that I that I would enjoy, like Black Star and Dave Chappelle do a podcast that's on Luminary. And I'm like, ah, and Ricky Gervais and Sam Harris did one that was also like, come on, paywall, no. And, um, but, you know, I, I get it. But uh, as a creator, I definitely get it. But uh, it's just for how many years I was able to listen to podcasts without them being behind paywalls. You know, it's just a new thing to get used to. But as a musician who also got a DistroKid account recently, you know, yeah, it's all, it's all, it's all difficult to understand the way that media is made and consumed and where the money goes. It very seldomly goes towards the people who are actually making the stuff. Well, when I say the stuff, I mean the actual content it is often going to the people who are making the systems to distribute the content anyway um so yeah i think that's everything i meant to say let me just read all my little notes here i think that's it so yeah without any further further housekeeping slash eight months of catching up um i proudly present to you the conversation that uh Morne Fenter and myself had in a car on the 20th of September 2021. I hope you enjoy it and uh I hope you are ready for 2022 and I hope that this inspires you a little bit about your own creative journey. Uh yeah, let's get in the car. <laughs> Plus, no, it's gonna obstruct oh, your. Oh, I can roll you. So slow. But it might obstruct. Okay, let's see. This little gorilla tripod is quite cute, my resni. Exactly as dexterous as one would hope. Yeah, you can focus on the side of the highway. The other thing, yeah. And then I'll use my phone as well for a second. Uh, yeah, that can work too. Day. And I hope no totsies steal it. I don't think they'll know what it is. <laughs> yeah, more, all the, all like the more is, reason to steal it. Looks, it. It, looks like a, it looks like a little dashboard, like that little hula dancing girl kind of dashboard thingy. <laughs> okay, check. 
I don't know how to check because I'm not using headphones. <laughs> well, I have no sound experience whatsoever. Get another one going. Put it back up. This one we can park. Yeah, but my handbook here obstructs. Okay, let's check. Oh, not really. Okay, yeah, that should be fine. Yeah. It might hear my. Uh, yeah, awesome. <laughs> the, the very first episode of this podcast I actually recorded in a car. I know, I listened to it. I oh, did you? Actually, I did actually listen oh. to the first episode. Oh. You can reserve your comments because I know you are quite a, <laughs> a critic. You're, 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 you're quite a critic of the arts. So, I mean, yeah, uh, maybe too much. Eh? <laughs> yeah, I remember I was talking to my friend Christian Hen. Was in a band called Vampire 9000. Oh yeah, I remember the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah awesome yeah, yeah. band. Micah did some of the artwork and stuff. Mm. Um, and we were talking about how snobby we'd all become about music. Yeah. And he was saying like, he really thinks if he went to a gig of his own band, he would only last like one song and then leave. <laughs> you know, like be all snobby at the back and leave. Like his own level of snobbishness had become so bad. I think I think what's interesting about like my own snobbiness snobbishness in that regard is that um, I find I'm more snobby about stuff that everybody else likes and I'm late to the party of, on. Yeah. I, I prefer finding things, you know, a little bit like, or I prefer getting into things once everybody's kind of forgotten about it a little bit. I guess that makes me a hipster or that, a reverse hipster. Very, yeah, no, it is. I, look, I have the same, I have the same problem, I think, in this. I just don't like people telling me what I have to watch or what I have to listen to. When every when everybody's listening to the same stuff, I'm yeah, like, yeah. I, I don't I don't want to be part of that conversation. <laughs> I think that's partly why I like what sort of what I, in my view anyway, what you embody as an artist is that you are, you know, you're you're on the edges and you're experimenting and you're trying to see what's outside of the the norm. That kind of thing is, is always attractive to me. All my favorite artists, you know, mm. kind of tend to do that. That's um, interesting. I don't know if I would have classified myself as that, but that's an interesting perception, you know. Yeah, like, the, the, uh, the stuff I'm responding to or, or what I'm talking about, and I mean, what I actually want to talk to you about is sort of creativity and the creative mm. process and stuff, but um, what I'm responding to is the, the paintings, more or less, that I've seen you make in the last maybe six, seven years since I've kind of become aware of your paintings. Mm. Um, so I don't even know what else you do as a creative person except for playing board games and, <laughs> and playing video games, playing video games <laughs> and drinking lots of wine yeah. and sul sulking and you know. sulking a part of my personality as well yeah. <laughs> I guess so sulking with lots of laughter like lots of lots of self-reflexive sulking which is my favorite kind yeah I was thinking about like on my way to picking you up I was thinking about like uh, you know how I characterize myself and, I'm, and I was like mm, you know like I think I'm a pretty negative person in, in a lot of respects you know and it's a constant battle to not be negative you but, know. but there's something yeah I think what, what why I've enjoyed chilling with you and why I want to have this conversation is 
some some people are negative and when you leave their presence you feel more negative mm. but somehow you are negative but it's funny like, <laughs> like and when I've darnest the rage <laughs> or like you're just always laughing you know yeah. so somehow even though we might both not be in a good space or whatever after some kind of interaction I always walk away feeling like that was really funny or just like a little bit better than what I felt before I spoke to you, you know? Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> like I have, I have a couple of friends that uh, would come and visit me sometimes and we'll have a chat, right? And then like uh, they'll, they'll, they'll actively prompt me to complain about something. <laughs> <laughs> they like it, yeah. It's like a Ricky Gervais. Yeah, kind of, I guess. You know? yeah. Part of, and and maybe, that, maybe that comes out in your artwork too, because the artwork is always like super fucking dark. And, well, most I don't look at it that way weirdly like I think people often like they characterize it like that but I don't look at it like no, that. No, what I was gonna add is it's also playful there's mm. like something there's something playful in this kind of I mean sometimes it's quite macabre and like there's some corpses and like skeletons and dead babies and shit but like <laughs> I've never painted a dead baby for the record. <laughs> okay so they're all alive but yeah. they're just like they're just in parts <laughs> okay but um but but like the the titles like I love your titles like being a fellow word player I really love the uh, I mean sometimes your titles you know like from what I've read anyway like I'm mm. saying but there was a, a period where you were really getting creative with the titles that I really loved so I think there's a nice mixture of sort of playfulness about the fact that we're all gonna die you know like yeah and, yeah. The, and that's that yeah that's my favorite vibe <laughs> what do you think about that I think. You know, in terms of the writing, um, we, I, I think I've got a couple of things about this and I need to structure my thoughts around this. But what's interesting is that I've never really considered myself much of a writer, to be honest. Like, uh, um, it's only in the last couple of uh, maybe, you know, um, years that I realized that people just don't give like any kind of... Uh, focus or any kind of attention to their artworks titling very few um, artworks that are titled very interestingly people often just gravitate towards the first thing that they think of or just call it untitled and I flip and hate that you know like I really despise that because it just it's lazy to me so that's kind of where my writing comes from is like this response a complaint I guess <laughs> this response to how people like uh, don't title their artworks properly don't you, and, don't you think Okay, so I mean, I obviously I've already stated that I'm a fan of this. Mm. Like, I love these layered and ironic and sort of paradoxical titles that you create with like mm. a little bit of that self-deprecating humor, <laughs> like in all of them, really. Um, but don't you think that could potentially steal? Maybe, maybe some art, maybe some visual artists are like, it's not about the name because it's about because if I give you a name. I'm giving you, you a reading. concept, yeah, I'm yeah. giving you a, a level of implicit meaning. So if I call it untitled, I'm saying the, the job is yours to interpret what you think this piece means. Yeah, that's you know. lazy. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I agree. I think that, that, like, I don't think that giving something a title in a specific way, like if you title a piece, like this is about my mother, uh, you know, like that's interesting. And, it, and if you know a lot about the artists, like that kind of 
gives you a very specific reading, right? But like, it might prompt you to think about your own mother and the relationship that you have with her. And there's still a lot of conceptual space for reading. I don't think it's that limiting. Yeah. And I guess that's like, that brings down that, uh, you know, like my love for rules and things like that. Like uh, the way that we deal with rules and incorporate rules into our creativity. Because I find giving people these little limitations to work in is, a, is better for their experience of the art. And what I'm trying to do through my titling is to give people the opportunity to, um, I guess, like, it's not about me. Like, it's about, like, their experience. I want to make the piece as universal as possible. So I always try and title it in a way that is more about just general human experience than it is about my personal experience, do you understand? Like, uh, I write it as if it's about me, but at the end of the day, I like to elevate it and kind of put it at this universal conceptual level so that everybody can um, find an access point into it, you know? Yeah, no, like, I, I, again, I like that. And being a word person, I, I mean, uh, yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm a visual person too. I love both elements of what your art is busy with. Um, yeah, so the intention, I, I like though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the intention, though, because, Definitely. like, uh, um, you know, there's some people that are like, yeah, you should write more, you should make the art more, the writing more, the art, and other people are like, yeah, you know, I don't know, like, I, I, I used to get complaints about the titles, but I think that uh, has kind of resolved a little bit, because I used to use words in the paintings, oh, yeah. and then when I used to title the painting what is written in the painting, you know, people were like, it's a bit redundant, why are you doing that? So I kind of like separated those things. But yeah, I found, I thought, like, to be honest, like I thought that the title space of the artwork was kind of like a, a, an unseen space for a little bit of innovation. And like, I'm kind of trying to innovate in that little little board, you know. Um, one thing I did, uh, I don't know if you were that solo, like two years ago or three years ago, uh -uh. where what I did was, all the I, I wrote titles for all the pieces in the show, but then I kind of substituted all the titles with like uh, little glyphs or symbols, and then I gave people like this really abstract map with a lot of random like the titles kind of laid out randomly and stuff, uh -huh. and then people had to kind of like read the decode, map and try and yeah. decode the titles and like what they think it means, you know. So that's your gaming. Yeah, like a lot of a lot of like what I'm trying to do with art now. If I'm doing a show, I try and think like, how can I make it a little bit more playful, a little bit more gamey? How can I get people to engage with it and kind of impose their own reading on what I'm putting out? You know? The interactivity of, mm. of it, and that obviously comes from your sort of creative technologies background a little bit maybe you know like your UX <laughs> I gotta tell you like UX uh, in the gallery space you know, the, the creative technologies thing I kind of fell into it like uh, so, so just for context uh, Monet and I both work at a place called Open Window and Monet is the head of school of the creative technologies school um, I, yeah, I mean, you can say more. I don't, I don't think we're going to talk about this. No, we're, that's we're actually, okay. We're actually on our way to a work meeting as well. <laughs> but, uh, it's, anyway. it's, no, but that's... Uh, but, like, uh, you know, I do that for a living. And, like, it is interesting to me. But it's very... Like, I find that persona, like, the t technologist, like, UX persona, very far removed from my day-to-day -day life. I've got uh, quite a reserved 
relationship with technology in general. Like, uh, I don't really love it that much, to be honest. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like, you are a gamer. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But not a high-tech gamer. Like, I'm still playing on a PlayStation 3 in 2021, you know? Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's very nice. Yeah. My, my favorite game is still Age of Empires 3. Oh, in, wow. In really? 2021. So, yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, RTS is a... I used to play StarCraft a lot. StarCraft, dude. What a vibe, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, my, my favorites were, like, Command & Conquer, Red Alert. Uh, yeah, all those, yeah, real-time strategy oh, games. Yeah. yeah. Like, they're not so great on console, but... Uh, and I haven't played one in a while, but I, I can respect the craft, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, yes. There's something so satisfying about building your little city and your army and... Yeah, so like and so on and so forth. But I'm sure, I'm sure that's evolved to like next level types of games at this point. You'd be surprised. Like, I mean, I think there's small innovations, but there's very little true innovation in that space. Like, uh, games have largely kind of stayed the same for the last like 20 years. I feel. Yeah. Uh, like, and I mean, this is there's probably somebody that would hear this and be like, "What the? F what are you talking about?" You know, I don't know if I can curse, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you can. Curse. Um, but uh, I think that games have gotten higher budgets and games have a lot more people working on them But the, at the core the experience hasn't really changed that much. That's why you can play like graphically Yes, a lot of improvement, but like if you take away the graphics the gameplay stays the same yeah. You know, and that's kind of yeah, but that's not really uh, I guess that's not really that pertinent to Thinking about creativity. I mean, but gameplay is very important to me as a creative uh, concept though yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I think one of the big issues that I have with creativity in general, or just like anything really, <laughs> I find that anytime I do academic work, my question is always like, why is this not fun? <laughs> you know, yeah. like, well, how can, why am I not having fun and how can we make it more fun? <laughs> and what I, the answer to that question that I found specifically for the creative process, because I was thinking about that a lot a couple of years ago and writing my masters on that. And then what I realized was that like, you know, creativity is something that we all want to indulge in and we all want to go through it. But if you kind of reflect on the creative process, you know, it's not always that fun, you know, like, uh, it, and why is that? Like, because creativity is supposed to be this fulfilling journey and like, you know, it's meaningful, but at the end of the day, sometimes it's a little bit of a slog, you know? And I realized that like, I think what makes creativity fun is when the process starts mimicking what happens in a game in terms of rule sets. Like once you once you get to a point in the creative process where when you take a step forward or take a step back or tweak something or add something and you can see the tangible outcome in the process like you feel like you've got control mm. like you know you know what you're working with you know what um, you know what medium it is or what you're trying to say you know you have all the limitations in place and then you start you know playing around with all the bits and pieces according to like this kind of abstract rule set that's when creativity starts becoming fun but the bad part of creativity is figuring out what you want to work with a lot of the time for me anyway you know like uh, I don't know if you find that as well yeah yes you've said a lot of things like the <laughs> sorry no, no, I mean, uh, on every sentence you had I, I sort of had some tangent thoughts um, I think you're right like the the blissful the blissful sort of you know holy holy zone of creativity when you're in that flow state and you're just making like let's say I'm, I mean I experience it 
most intensely when I'm editing film. Yes. It's like what I've actually experienced, you know, recently. Um, when I lose track of time and I don't know where I am. But you're right, the parameters are already set up and the, the, work, the, the content that I'm busy editing has been shot. And that's the hard work, like setting mm. up the lights or if, if I'm even involved in that part of the process, you know, like carrying the gear to the fucking location, <laughs> like managing the production schedule, like actors drop in oh, last minute. Yeah. Like all, all of that is also part of the creative process. That might be the slog you're talking about, the, the sort of hard work. I mean, in every medium it would look different like if you're writing a novel then research into the world that you're trying to create could be both boring and rewarding yeah i don't i don't think like i mean it it's it's very reductionist to say that there's no fun in the creative process until the end you know? yeah, yeah, yeah of course not but there, there's different types of play in the creative process that I find that uh, is, uh, you know, like at the start, the play is very loose. Like you don't really know where you're going. You have a vague idea, but does like... This, does this map onto any medium? Or, or, or like when you speak about the creative process, do you think you're mostly imagining painting? Because that's, that's your most expressive question. <laughs> that's such a good question because I thought about that as well. Um, I used to think that like this is this is towards a rather universal experience of creativity, right? And the one place where I found that like my way of thinking or explaining it and talking about it in this way uh, doesn't map is in acting itself. Like, uh, people, you know, actors find that, like, my way of, well, specifically an actor that we have in our, at school, yeah. like, uh, one of our lecturers, I had a chat with him, yeah. and uh, specifically, like, he seemed, when I spoke to him about the way that I view creativity, and I think I view creativity in a very technical, like, almost machine-like way, and he, he, like, he just seemed, like, kind of affronted by my view on it, because it just didn't map onto his experience of it. Like, he views creativity very intuitively. Like, I think about creativity in terms of problem solving, and every creative effort is just an effort of problem solving, and they don't look at it that way, right? Like, so my, my view on creativity didn't quite map onto that. So that's interesting, but that, I guess, this might be controversial, but then I'm asking myself, is acting like actually a creative, uh, a creative <laughs> act, or is it a, is it a craft or a skill? You know, like because crafting and creative work is different stuff. Yeah, you know? I think I think acting is is definitely a, an art because embodying characters. I mean, that's that's it goes beyond craft. Like mm. when you, it's it's all of your faculties like it's your emotions yeah it's your spirit it's your physical body it in in a way it's the highest of all of the arts because your entire being is the artwork mm -hmm. so it's more that, i mean i i hear i hear your question there but i, I would say that making a case for acting you know i'd rather lean towards acting being a creative act than not obviously. yeah 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 no, so but i, I, I mean think you could i guess my question would be then like where do you think you know, like for me, what constitutes a creative act, right? There has to be at some point in the process, some sort of 
leap that happens, some sort of leap of kind of really weird logic, like one plus one equals three kind of stuff, right? Like in any real creative act, there's a point where that kind of happens, like where there's this weird lateral link that gets made or whatever. Like where is that in acting? Like uh, I'm, I'm assuming when building the character or like when exploring the space that happens. You're just going right? to have to explain the leap better. I don't understand the... Well, I guess um, what I mean is that whenever we're involved in a creative act, right, like you're, you're, whether you're painting or whether you are writing a song or writing a book or whatever creative act you're involved in, like I feel like there is a point in that process where you make a connection or you realize something about the thing that you're making that kind of shifts the perspectives or changes the way you look at it to kind of complete the artwork in a sense or you kind of like you you kind of like make a connection in your mind that really wasn't that obvious you know like it feels like it kind of comes out of nowhere i guess that creative insight moment you know that eureka moment is what i'm talking about and i want to know where that sits in the process of acting like where does that eureka moment that that unexpected connection sit okay i think the sort of trying to the ontology of that moment it would also be interesting because i don't know if i've experienced that exact thing you're describing in every type of artwork i've made from a doodle you know like an ink sketch that i'm making while i'm talking on the phone to mm. a album that I'm completing with a band or on my own or um, you know a film that I'm making like a lot of a lot of time that that or that perspective shift if that's how you're defining it kind of happens after the fact also like I was I was actually chatting to Nina our mutual friend Nina Tor the other day about a beautiful print that she had made with a, the, that one of the snake and the cosmos flowers mm -hmm. um, and the landscape at the bottom I don't know if you saw that print. Yeah, yeah, yeah beautiful thing and she said she also just follows a kind of intuitive process when she's painting and you know you know excuse me if i'm putting words in your mouth that, or you would want to explain it in some other way but i'll just summarize what i thought you said um which is like she paints intuitively she follows images just coming from her subconscious and she doesn't think about what it means mm. and uh, most often at least afterwards the work tells her what it means yeah yeah so I in this case like in this case the cosmos flowers were just from another painting that she had seen in stefan's like parents place or something and the snake also had to do with you know someone she knew who had been bitten by a snake and had passed away but it all only made sense afterwards that like the cosmos flowers the name of the flowers represents order and the snake represents chaos and they were kind of in balance with each other in this painting like order and chaos was the the whole structure mm. of the painting but none of that was intentional or done at the beginning so I said what what I often tend to do and why perhaps some of my artworks fail in, in a certain regard is that I I think things through so hectically before I even start create like I've got so many layers of things that I want to try and put into a song for example um, so, I mean, just, just a quick little riff on that. So, like, uh, you know, like, like some of, like, my own bandmates in Bitter Ainder have, have criticized my writing for being quite esoteric, like being very self-reflexive and it's like writing about writing and it's meta and it's 
thinking about who we are as a band and writing about that and it becomes very <laughs> like smelling your own fart self-indulgent yeah a little bit masturb <laughs> masturbatory and and in the end is that you know like it's not universal perhaps anymore so you know at our, at our sort of peak when people really were appreciating what we were doing perhaps our themes were a bit wider and then the, I sort of narrowed the circle perhaps into a more personal self-reflexive space um, but so so one really rewarding part of that was we're not supposed to turn off here no, no, no. Um, was that uh, Annie Klopper wrote her PhD about Afrikaans identity and hip-hop music and she wrote like a whole chapter on Bitter Ender's lyrics and so here was this academic study of these like paper trails and meta things that I'd left for someone to decode. That's so cool. But, but, I've, but it was so, you know, like it, it took someone in their PhD to be able to figure out what the fuck I was on about. But anyway, so it was very... It doesn't oh, blow your own horn or anything. Well, I mean, quite the opposite. What, I, what I'm saying is that it became so layered and so yeah. intense. It's almost like Sergei Eisenstein is this... Uh, Soviet filmmaker yeah, who, yeah, yeah. who started he, he wrote about montage theory he wrote about the theory of editing before he could actually make films because there was a lack of film stock in Russia at the time and whatever um, so he they developed they, they, they made the world's first film school in Moscow in like 1920 mm. something and then they they thought about films for a really long time and wrote about films and then they started making these films but he got so deep into this theory that eventually he was making films which no one could understand like that like he would cut from a image of a building to an image of this sort of iron peacock thing and then like and these rapid cuts and then back and forth and it became so esoteric that basically only he knew what the hell he yeah. was on about so i think that's the the thing that each artist is trying to navigate is like where do I stay true to my vision and the, you know the, the things that are in me that I'm trying to express from my dream space or my subconscious or whatever it is that you're trying to do and also provide meaning but how much am I in control of the meaning how much is this just intuition how much room do I leave for the, the viewer or the engager like and yeah I think well, that's that's the that's the joyous struggle because sometimes you swing and miss other times you make something that's kind of satisfying for yourself, but no one else seems to like it. Other I think I've uh, got two points on this that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the first, the first point is on you know like that idea of planning the artwork or planning the creative work that you're doing, right? I think, in my personal opinion, like true creative work, you shouldn't have the final vision of the creative product in mind until the thing is done like the the end goal of whatever you're making needs to stay fuzzy until very close to the end where there's a where there's a sudden realization or like this kind of like emergence of the creative work from this miasma you know that you've been working in and that's how i paint like i never know what i'm going to paint until it's done you really? know like yeah like never uh, never start with an image of mine never ever it's just paint randomly just all the way to the end so it's like an automotive process like well i mean there is a process of meaning making like i'll you know i'll start with the painting and then i'll look at it a week later and be like okay well what is you'll respond to yeah, your yeah. own yes okay. yeah yeah and i'll often work on like 
five, six paintings at a time, you know, and like kind of read them together or like see what comes out. And also like the emotional state that I'm in at that point allows me to see things that I might not be able to see. And then extracting shapes from it. There's like that, like kind of like, uh, uh, yeah, like that kind of like almost subconscious painting thing happening there. But I think that for, you know, for a true creative act, I do think that like if you un if you know every step you need to take to execute a thing, a song or a book or whatever, if you've plotted out every every step already, I don't think you're doing creative work. I think you're doing crafting. Yeah. Like crafting is step by step. It's technique. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like I prefer. I think there has to be that element of mystery to it. You yeah, know? of course, of course. And then the other thing that I wanted to mention around that idea of the artist navigating their, you know, like uh, the meaning making and like what's meaningful to them and stuff. And I think that this is probably the, the most mystical component of my own like creative practice is that I think that the job of every single artist um, of any sort uh, in the world is to do enough work over a long enough period that you discover your inner vocabulary and I think that inner vocabulary is the range of signs and meaningful aspects that resonate with your own soul that you incorporate into your work on an ongoing basis and like I think about like there's times when I've created paintings and then after the painting the, the thing that I've created feels particularly in sync with my own sensibilities and my own meaning making and then I'm like, okay, there's something, this, I uncovered something here tonight or today that like is, this is a part of my, you know, like that authentic inner vocabulary of myself as an artist. And then once I've uncovered it, I see it kind of like, I can spot it more easily coming back into the paintings and stuff. And I think that, you know, like, I don't know if you've got that same experience, but like over time you kind of uncover these bits and pieces that feel really authentically as if they're part of your artistic ability and vision. And you just kind of work on incorporating and developing them over time. And that's where your like kind of uh, auteur uh, kind of signature comes from. Yeah. yeah, you know, like, uh, and I think that that's the thing about like, I don't grapple too much about like, what does this mean? You know, like what, how are people going to look at this thing and maybe I should think about it more but I don't really care like, yeah. I mean it's up to them you know yeah now in, in, in music making you know there, there's definitely similar similar process like like I can understand everything you've said sort of through the lens of what I've gone through yeah know? but like the way you pick words and the way that you, the, 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 the kind of the also, topics that you that you're talking about but like, also genre things and you know like like different bands at different times of life and the fact that at, at a certain time I was in metal bands and in another time <laughs> I was like in an acoustic folk band you know like like I had my own stints in bands as well <laughs> I know you did yeah, I know I know back no, in I, the day that's why I think of you as a sort of multidisciplinary artist I don't only think of you as a painter um, but but it's the same thing like you pick up um, like you said, sometimes there's a song that you write, like this one song I wrote called Obsidian with a band called Half Sister, mm. that is this, it just captured the thing that was in me that wanted to come out about melancholy and longing for dead friends and like, like you know, I mean, that sounds intense, but that's what it was about. And it's one of those songs that when it's done, you're like, that's what I meant to do. That feels really good. And 
perhaps what you were talking about, then you can sort of stand outside it and look at it and appreciate what that thing is. And then it sort of influences the next things you make as well. Yeah, and, and every, every sort of phase of style and exploration and the energy of a certain kind of music, you know, I mean, you start with your Nirvana covers and you move <laughs> all the way through to appreciating Sufjan Stevens, you know, and it's like, that, that's a long journey. I mean, and, and eventually now, like my, my newest band has a vibraphone player, a drummer, a beat maker and a fellow rapper <coughs> and myself on sort of, I don't know what it is. Some people said it sounds like bad brains, but it's also, it's like, it's got punk and rap and jazz and just so many of my favorite things again. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I don't know. Like, I think a big part of like, what's important to me as a creative artist as well is like that idea of authenticity like uh, just like you know people want to see that like the stuff that you're making isn't trying to be something other than what you are capable of in a sense you know um, they like you sometimes the stuff that you gravitate towards and that have the most meaning to you I feel are things where you feel the artist was really like authentically working with what they're working with and it's, you know? and, and, and it's like I mean I, I talk about this in my writing workshops exactly like how you're describing it sometimes things come together it's the zeitgeist of the time mm. it's the voice of that artist it's their lived experience it's one or two fucked up things that happen to them it's their direct influence sometimes it's a sort of mentor in their lives and you need you need this sort of synthesis of about 10 of those things and then suddenly this one profound thing happens like the one example i like is the um is bob dylan making the world's first music video sort of inadvertently they they were shooting a sort of promotional thing for this tour he was doing you know in in america or something um one of his first tours and this filmmaker da pennebaker put a camera up and then Bob Dylan just drew the lyrics of, of the song on these big sheets of paper and then he just stood there in this like perfect like Bob Dylan way. I mean, I'm not even a Bob Dylan fan. I mean, I like yeah, I same. like him from sort of far away, but yeah, the dude exactly. won the Nobel Prize, but yeah. like, you know, and, and once or twice I've listened to his songs and enjoyed the vibe. But this moment, like, dude, you should watch this video. It's so cool. Like, he's so, he's got this face, this like punk rock face. It's so like, like cooler than everyone and then he he just drops the lyrics like page by page as the song plays and that's the that was the world's first music video and in the background is fucking um the the beat poet uh alan ginsberg is just in the background <laughs> of this video and he's just standing there as a sort of extra and then he walks away at the end of the thing you know and, and it's, it's it. so <laughs> and, and it, it was like zeitgeist and technology and but this like is this dude and everything came together and it's still one of the most iconic sort of audiovisual little experiences but this is why like you know like uh mihai chicks and mihai that uh creative theorist that right that coined the concept of flow and all of that kind of stuff one of his i don't know if it's a lesser known theory i think people who write and think about creativity a lot like uh, you know are very familiar with this but like what you're mentioning there is like a lot to do with that like idea of the systems theory of creativity Okay, which has to do with the fact that creativity is not just dependent on the one person creating the art But rather on two other aspects. There is the field and there is the in, um, The environment or the 
you know, like the outside world in a sense. Like, uh, um, I can't remember exactly what all the elements are, but creativity no, 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 isn't no, no, just the field. The field and the outside world sound like the same one. No, 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 no. no the like, field, like the medium. No, no. Um, uh, oh, man, I'll, I'll, anyway, I'll find what it is. But the the field are people who decide the tastemakers. They're the ah. people that decide that something's creative. Uh -huh. So if you make a painting and you put it out there, you know, art critics, other artists and stuff, if other artists say, wow, this painting's so great, you know, that kind of adds to the creativity of the thing. Like, uh, you know, people, yeah, the, the credibility thing. of it, you know. For instance, like uh, Van Gogh was painting for years and years and years and nobody cared about his paintings. Nobody said, this is great work. So. Technically, if you're looking at creativity as a system, his stuff wasn't creative until like a hundred years after he died. Or it wasn't great. No, it was great. Like it just wasn't like if you're looking at creativity as this idea okay, okay. that it's bestowed upon a thing, not just by the person making it, but by the people viewing it critics, and by yeah. yeah, and by the world that it exists in, you okay, know, like okay. uh, so like this thing with the Bob Dylan, uh, what you're saying, or this writer that's taking all of these different influences, you know, the mentor tells this person it's creative and they kind of like vouch for it. So I find that like idea of it's a little bit heartening in a sense because like uh, that means you know you can create work and if other people think it's gr it's good or give it like some value then you know like it can be considered kind of creative and again this is where I think about creativity in a very technical way you know I like that you're I like that you're sort of equating creativity with something that's like you're not you're not saying it then becomes great or it then becomes art you're saying then we can call it creative it's like the, the creativity is the rubber it's like the stamp it's yeah the, it's the thing well if you think about like what's you know like I mean I guess what would you say is like the if creativity had a currency like what would that currency be for you you know like if you had to if you had to if you had to measure creativity in some sort of unit what would it be money <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, you're totally correct. Theoretically, that is correct. <laughs> I, 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 well, one thing that makes me think of is like um, a little bit of theory from from stuff you know that I've that I've researched. Also in my masters, I wrote about this. <laughs> it's funny that we're both quoting our masters' <laughs> we're research. We're very learned in this. <laughs> yeah. Two masters of the form. <laughs> Um, but the, the 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 piece that I liked about sort of viewing experience uh, was this paper by these two Danish theorists who wrote about um, the difference between a eudaimonic experience and a um, like most people when they sit down to watch a film or a TV series, there's two basic things that we're expecting, two basic categories of expectation from the viewing experience. The one is entertainment. Mm. So that's like. That's basically following the motors of narrative interest, which is fear, panic, play, seeking and wanting, sexual desire, like watching movies and TV shows that satisfy us, usually genre-based things like, you know, Skopsky and Donner or action or <laughs> whatever. Uh, this different. Uh, this place is around here somewhere, supposedly. Yeah, there it is, there it is, going up. Um, and the other type of viewing experience is called the eudaimonic experience where people learn something about themselves so they have like a a higher order or a spiritual experience you could even say like um 
it doesn't no, reflective experience yeah. you learn something about yourself and you change the way you uh, think about yourself I don't know who that person is but I'm aware I think it's there. Jane or maybe no that's a man <laughs> James but James, now we're James. At each other well uh, just to end this off like I do I, like I want to talk about that some more so maybe yeah, I, I hate that, like I hate that we're ending this off but, but uh, we've arrived at the place where our meeting yeah. is going to be but I feel like we need a bit of a part two yeah we'll do that should on we, the way back should yeah. we pause yeah well yeah but I want to tell you what okay. what, what, I, what, the, what I think the currency of creativity is oh yes please yeah like leaving us on that cliff I think like creativity is measured in surprise and like uh, you know surprise in the viewer and also surprise in the artist you know like the m amount of surprise that like engagement with that artwork can generate I love that yeah that's one of the that's one of the things Bordel and Thompson write about they say like filmmakers can either gratify your expectations or surprise or, or cheat them or mm, surprise you. Mm. yeah and that and I think that like you know on a very real level surprise is uh the way that it is like the tangible unit of measure to some degree i like it uh. innovation is is what makes something surprising also yeah anyway, anyway let's pause and let's Chat try more. and find this place yay <laughs> this one is going in more or less the same space that it was before with the same volume level nice Later in the day, different ambience. I'll, I'll yeah. see if I even do an edit or if we just slap them together. Big, uh, big meeting energy uh, <laughs> yeah. in the in the hearts and minds. Yes, no, that was quite an intense. What was that like an eight-hour meeting? Well, not quite. I think that like if you had to put all the meeting hours together, it'd probably be like closer three. to like four. Three. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah it's just talking cock. Anyway, uh, but also lots of coffee yeah. and uh, cheesecake. Yeah, and a fresh mind. No, not so fresh. Anyway, but, we, yeah, you were saying about like, like before we put the thing on, you were talking about like this idea of like where your creative energy is at, like right now. Yeah, so I think you know it's been 18 months into the pandemic now, um, and in my sort of journey as a creative person, the last 24 years have been really productive. Like since I was 15, you know, I've been writing songs and playing them in front of people original compositions in front of like in bands you know so that's 24 years of doing this which is a lot like a lot of times I hear artists you know speaking and they're like oh I've been doing this for 10 years and people are like oh 10 years and I'm like oh that's half you know it's like, anyway <laughs> I've so, forgotten how yeah I've forgotten how long this journey's actually been but um yeah the last 18 months you know there were there were some fun little bits here and there like we did, you know, we did a live stream show or two, and I started an awesome Patreon community, which which I thought was one cool way to just stay connected to people. Because live music shows is very much about connecting to people. It's like the thrill, the rush, the high is you make a song, you record it, you put on an album, then you tour the album, and it's one of the most rewarding things if somebody in the audience is singing along with you. They they love the song now you're doing it live and you're doing it together now it's the text lives beyond you as the artist like we're engaging in this thing together you know like and and that that so the main thing that that's been stripped from all of us in the creative space has, is like the thing like there's nothing to look forward to that's yeah. kind of how it feels it's like my whole life there's been a festival or a music video shoot or a 
show or a tour or just a just a gig or like a, a recording session or a writing session or somebody phones me for a collab or there's always the next thing and it's usually within a week or two or a month or something like really nice and big like a European tour at the end of the year or something to look forward to and you you keep channeling your energy towards that awesome thing that's just on the horizon some new opportunity connect with people and so taking that away from all of the artists you know even I'm sure when you think about your own vibe as a painter it's just like I mean I have musician friends who go into studio now they open a project they look just at it for like 20 it. minutes they close it they go home it's like that's how many I know many 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 artists feel like that right now because we're not sure what the end goal is and it, it makes you realize how teleological the the process of art making actually was you the end goal was always with the audience consumption like, yeah the connection with the I audience. completely feel it. like I mean my energy in the last year and a half has also like lessened significantly in, the crea in my creative capacity for sure um, and that thing about that that relationship you have with the output of the work and why you're outputting it has been a very significant point of consideration for me for sure as well because I had a solo earlier this year um, you know somehow I managed to make a bunch of paintings that got out and then somebody at the solo asked me like uh, so how was it preparing for a show how did you find it and I was like it was literally just like pulling teeth for months like it wasn't really fun to prep it it was really really difficult for me to do this and he then asked me why and then I had to tell him like you know when the pandemic started I found myself painting and then you ask yourself who the fuck cares about this little piece of paper with a piece with something on it who cares about it like what does it even mean where is it even going and it's weird that it's weird that this has made us ask that question but we never used to ask it. We were never honest, perhaps, with ourselves, like, before the pandemic, like... Well, I think, yeah, uh, I, I think what happened was that I had realized, like, what the pandemic had highlighted to me and myself as an artist is just, like, how much, like, of my inner motivation had changed. Like, I had realized that, like, the reason I'm asking these this question about what I'm creating is because the economic value and perspective of my art has overtaken the internal value that it used to have. So I was saying to myself, I realized, or I only realized in retrospect, what had happened was that, like, my art had taken on the value, the, the value of an audience member. Like, you know, what, are, what is an audience getting out of this? And, like, are people willing to kind of, like, maybe buy this, you know? And, and that was why I felt like so, the art was so meaningless, was because the economic structures supporting that point of view had fallen away to some degree. And the infrastructure in the arts industries in South Africa is already so flimsy. Yeah, It didn't exactly. take much to basically yeah. just, like, <laughs> yeah, knock everything out. Like, yeah, just screw it up. And then I realized that, like, wow, like, the reason I'm saying, like, what's the point of painting is because I'm, I'm looking at my paintings from the wrong point of view and that it was a journey, preparing for that solo was a journey of return to painting for myself. Like, 
I had to again recapture that magic that I had at the beginning of my painting journey where I didn't care whether people were consuming the art or buying my art. I was literally painting because the pursuit was in my own, inter the, the, the reward was my internal pursuit. And I mean, I can't say that I've shed the complete, you know, audience aware awareness or the economical awareness of the art making process, but I've definitely made a stronger return to making art simply for the joy of doing it. And that has helped me sustain, if not as strongly as before, but at least on an ongoing basis, like my weekly painting routine, you know, and I will never forget that like Picasso said something in the line of like to have one good hour of painting, you need like five hours of painting. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah. it takes five hours of painting to have one good hour of painting. You it's know? like smoking. When I when I still used to smoke, it like fifteen cock cigarettes for the five nice ones in the box. Yeah, like, yeah. The five that are actually like, oh, that was a nice little smoke. Yeah, yeah it's the a, other fifteen are like, ah, what yeah, it's what exactly that. Yeah. So I mean, like, I think that uh, that was a big realization for me was that I had gotten lost in, you know my consideration of the audience and like my consideration of economics in some way huh. um, and yeah now it's getting back but like I mean there is some level like you know even for I mean like I'm no big time painter in any sense but like you know even if you have a very small amount of people buying into your art like you can't help but assimilate and consider your art making through the perspective of the people consuming it you especially know? in the sort of social media age where you know, every post feels like a tempted harvesting for likes or, you know, and, it's, and, and you read the comments by your, your fan base um, and, you know, it's impossible not to make that a little feedback loop where you are internalizing people's opinions about your pieces and then thinking about what you put out next time. I mean, it's not impossible, but I, I think what you're talking about is a very valuable thing that each artist at, at various phases of their career, again, kind of needs to go through like why am I making stuff you know what what am I trying to achieve here yeah and you um, think you think you're holding on to your original reason for doing what you're doing yeah. you know you convince yourself that like yes I'm painting for myself but then like we said like this perspective change comes and COVID like knocks down all of the little flat cardboard pieces that was our you know structures of life yeah. and then all of a sudden you realize oh wow maybe I wasn't doing it for the reasons I thought you know yeah. um, it's kind of like a rewriting of your own manifesto that is enforced by the pandemic it makes you look again at the core values or the yeah, I mean, to me, like the way that I characterize the pandemic in my own life view, like I call the pandemic uh, for myself, like, uh, like the unraveling, because like it was just, you know, it was just pulling all of these threads from all of these different places. And like, it just laid bare so much of what we buy into and kind of like revealed it to be almost a sham, you know, like uh, I was just so like taken aback by how easily our world was dismantled in yeah. such a short time you know yeah. like uh, and yeah yeah no it was uh, it was shocking <laughs> i don't know have you ever played any tarot games never played a tarot game but i know ta i know uh, tarot like yeah I, I i i've never i've sort of dabbled just on the surface a little bit once or twice just for fun but um 
like, like once I sort of bought a tarot deck at a um, like a hospice shop, and that's been lying around. Uh, our mutual friend Adrian is also yeah, yeah, he's, he's also quite it. into it, and has like also done a vibe, like interpreted some of the cards for me once or twice. We love you, Adrian. What's up, Adrian? <laughs> um, another artist who should be much more famous than he is. Anyway, yo, those cops really pulled us over now. That was lucky. Um, <laughs> and then uh, the. No, so, so I did like, I mean, one day I was just kind of bored in my study and I'm like, yes, this, this NUE is crushing me. It's mm. like, I'm, I have nothing to look forward to. I'm just feeling so bummed and like, what, you know, what, what, what should I be doing as a creative person? And I, so for fun, I sort of pulled three cards, you know, one is supposed to be the past, the present and the future. Um, and, and I, I, I didn't even know about the upside down or the pulling it the right way and whatever. And I pulled the first two upside down and then the third one, the right way up. And then I sort of Googled what they mean. And like, then it, it turns out, you know, if you pull them upside down, they like mean all kinds of other stuff. Oh, wow. But it was really interesting how the one that I pulled for present was the five of cups or the five of chalices upside down. Um, and basically, I mean, it's, it's got a lot of shit in there, but the, the one thing was like, your sadness is valid. Like you should, you should, no, you should just allow it. Like mm -hmm. the, the, the intensity of the sadness that you're feeling is valid. And I was like, geez, that's... Thanks, God. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Tarot God. That's kind of where I'm at. And, and, then, and then, but there's also five cups in the picture and three of them are upside down because it's an upside down card. So three have fallen out. Everything that's in the cards has fallen out. But there's still two that remain. And the message is kind of like, you've been... You've been depleted, but you should look at what you still have and sort of pick up from there and mm. sort of go forward again. It was such a valuable, such a valuable, like, thing for me to just think about and realize, you know, like, whatever, I don't think tarot is necessarily magical or able to do supernatural shit, but whenever there's a meaning-making system, you know, there's so many of them from yeah, every yeah. religion to the I Ching, to all the things that people, it's all the games that play. Structure your own, you know, it's just a way to try and figure out what the fuck like is going on and what am I supposed to do next, you know? Um, yeah, and yeah, then the future card was the Knight of Cups. And the, the suit of cups is about creativity, intuition, like all the stuff I care about. And the Knight of Cups is like, and especially the upright one, is a very sort of powerful thing about creativity and it's the most feminine of all the nights, sort of being in touch with your intuition and stuff. So, wow, man, it was such a nice reading, just sort of encouraging me to not give up, you know, <laughs> to try again. No, because this year, definitely, I, I realized how alcoholism sneaks up on a person. Oh, uh, really? It's not, it's not like one one day you're not an alcoholic and the next you are, you know. It's like, yeah. it's like yo, at, at, at a point I was like, Jesus, every, every night, maybe for three months now, you know, I've been drinking a bottle of wine. Yeah, well, At not least, unlike me, but I've been doing that uh, for a long like time now. For a decade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it doesn't. But yeah. it's so weird. Like my dad, yeah, like used to like just always have wine like uh, available. You know, like can yeah. we go up? Yeah, yeah we can go. In, yeah. Like he, uh, you know, like or like my dad always just has a cup of wine. You know, like it's just I don't know. I just kind of grew up with it, and it's never been like a violence thing or a, you know there's never been like that you know people have that thing like their parents used to drink and like it would be terrible and things would happen you know my dad's like a, a healthy guy 
and he just like you know yeah i think that wine. that kind of, that kind of <laughs> wine drinking is actually pretty good yeah i think yeah. for me i just uh, yeah like when it, when it's like a bottle and you can't remember if you were hitting two bottles and it's accompanied uh, with crying while watching art movies oh, yeah. every night and then the melancholy is just so deeply enhanced and you sort of stay in that sad bubble in the day as well <laughs> i don't know but i'm happy to report that i do still have an on and off switch which i have been exercising like in terms of whether you I'm can gonna, use it uh, i'm not like i'm not going to be drinking wine tonight for example <laughs> uh, but yeah so so it's been a rough year all around eh? that is true yeah no, no, i mean but I, but, I, but i mean i don't think it's just you know i think that there's very few people doing creative work right now that is feeling like they're functioning at full capacity. One of the one of the few people in the music industry, anyway, who found sort of an interesting gap in this time, or like developed a really interesting niche sort of thing, is the Kifness. I don't know if you oh yeah, him. he's still going. Yeah, like it's such a. He's one of the few people who was like, "Cool, everyone's at home, everyone's on the internet, everyone needs something uplifting." And I mean, his skills are remixing and working mm. with the, the drum machines and shit and all these weird little viral videos and combining like perfect perfect you know yeah, combination of things to just make but a little the system uplifting. of creativity has favored him exactly. like you see what i'm saying like or from our earlier conversation like uh, you know the medium and everything is uh -huh. coming together people have decided that uh, you know like uh, people like and say stuff is creative so you know it is <laughs> so yeah am i going down here yeah i'll go turn right here yeah. i'll kill that little dog good one david da da no no david david is the name of the kiffin that's not the dog <laughs> makes me think of not my dog the other pretoria classic oh uh, yeah back in the day but yeah i mean like but i think that what i'm doing to maintain my creative output now is just to um like I'm relying on habit and routine like I've always done like I've, I've always said that like the biggest aspect of the most underrated aspect of creativity is self-discipline yeah. yeah like it's just like people don't realize that like to be a true creative requires discipline yeah like if you're just at the whims of your own inspiration I'm sorry for you but you're not gonna get much there's done. also that yeah I love Maria Popova who writes brain pickings can somebody like here uh, that brainpickings.org website um, and she writes a lot about the sort of creative habits of lots of writers specifically yeah writing is a big one of there's that most that, yeah but they she looks at the the habits of all these different writers and it's all very different some people you know every morning some people in the night some people like sort of but they, there's that one famous quote i forget now which of the writers said it but something about i write whenever inspiration strikes and i'm something like I make sure it strikes at seven o'clock every morning, you know, like yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. like I, I'm there, like I'm just fucking there. And then you just arrive when it, yeah, like if you, if you prime the situation or the, the environment for inspiration to happen, you know, then. So you paint on Monday nights. Well, now, oh, tonight. yeah, yeah it's well, tonight. Monday night is uh, paint hey. night. Yeah. Do, do you find yourself looking forward to it or are you like, it depends on the day. Like, uh, like they are. I'm, I, Today I, you're I, gonna paint some meeting agendas. <laughs> I miss. I, I, I think I sometimes like seem to um, 
like more often than I would like to admit, I'm not looking forward to painting necessarily. Oh. Um, Hence but the baby's torn in into parts. <laughs> well, it's not really. <laughs> At the moment, I'm focusing. My painting is a very technical focus. Like I find I go through these phases where it's more of a just indulging, like just painting whatever I want. But I'm trying to now do more like technical exercises of creating depth in the painting. Oh, I love the landscapes that you've been doing. Yeah, recently. but that's exactly that. Like just trying to get those details. I, I also it. like that a lot of people listening to this will not have seen any of Monet's work. And uh, I now invite you to go and take a look at some of his work. I guess the best place to do is that, that would Velvet be Fenter. on Instagram. Yeah. yeah, the Instagram feed is, I love the Instagram feed. And there's a lot of uh, stories usually which involve Mornay in a white doctor's lab. <laughs> that coat, lab interesting, coat. interesting fact about that lab coat. Like I got that lab coat when I was uh, maybe... 12 or 13 right. and I've been painting in that lab so coat that's since. your sorcerer's shroud it's my ritual item awesome mm. I like it you, you do look awesome in it it is like <laughs> a doctor of painting yeah well it's kind of transitioned a little bit into an apron now but like uh, <laughs> the years have caked on uh, and I've gotten a bit fat for the coat now so I'm like uh, yeah no also the lockdown also hasn't been good for my health in yeah, more than one way let's go <laughs> Do some, let's go do some exercises. Yeah, okay. let's do that now. Okay, goodbye. Bye. Thank, thank you so much, Monet. <laughs> no problem.